The service today is going to be a great blessing for each of us, I'm sure, as we enjoy the good music and then as we study God's holy word. My father, H.M.S. Richards, is bringing to us now the subject entitled, Christ, Israel's Messiah. It was Dr. William Ng, well-known dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, who once said, I have no fear that the candle lighted in Palestine years ago will ever be put out. And we agree. The candle of Christ's life and influence and teachings will never be put out, no matter what happens in the world. He himself said, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12. And why is this? Why do men in every section of the world revere his name? Why do we find him honored as a great teacher and philosopher and leader of men by pagan, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian leaders? Why is it? Our answer is that he was more than a mere man. 
He was actually the promised Messiah of Holy Scripture. He was the light of the world. Through many centuries, ancient prophets of God had pointed forward to the coming of one whom they called the Messiah or the Anointed One or, as we say, the Christ. All three names mean the same, by the way. Turn to the margin in John 1.41 and you'll see that. Was Jesus Christ the Messiah of the prophets? Let us take a brief look at some of the things the ancient Hebrew prophets said about the coming Messiah. Now listen carefully. First, in the prophecy of Micah, the fifth chapter, verse 2, we read that the coming Messiah was to have an eternal origin. He was the Son of God prior to his being born to the Blessed Virgin in a way not to be explained by man. Listen to the exact words of the prophecy. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That's no mere man. That's divinity. Yet the Messiah was to be man also, as we read in Zechariah 13, 7, where the mighty God speaks of, quote, the man that is my fellow meaning my associate or my equal. In Daniel 7.13, we find the prophet applying the term son of man to one who appears before the throne of God. Messiah was to be a son of Abraham, who was the father of the faithful and the friend of God, Genesis 21. This was fulfilled, as we read in Matthew, the first chapter, where we find Christ's genealogy traced right back to Abraham. Messiah was not to be born according to the ordinary course of nature, but as to descend from a pure virgin. In Genesis 3.15, we read the first prophecy of the Messiah, or Christ, stating that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. And in Isaiah 7.14, we read, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. In fulfillment of these prophecies, be sure to read the story of the miraculous birth of Christ in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And notice, this inspired record was written by a physician. Another step forward in the prophecy of the ancient Hebrew prophets is that the coming Messiah was to be born as one of the descendants of Isaac and not of Ishmael, both of whom were sons of Abraham. So Jesus Christ sprang from Isaac and not from Ishmael. As we come a little further down the stream of time, we find that according to the prophet, Messiah was to be the son of Jacob and not of Esau who were the two sons of Isaac. Jesus Christ did descend from Jacob, not his brother Esau. And here's another step. Jacob had twelve sons, but the Messiah was to spring from none other of the twelve than Judah. Jesus Christ claimed Judah as his ancestor in a direct line, as you'll see in Matthew 1, 1 to 16. We look down the family line a little farther, and we see the prophecy that Messiah was to spring from Jesse, the father of David, king of Israel. And Jesus Christ was indeed his descendant. See Isaiah 11, 1. And remember this, Jesse had eight sons, and David was the youngest. From none of the seven older, but David alone was Messiah to derive his origin. Jesus Christ was the son of David. Compare 1 Samuel 16, first 13 verses, with Matthew, the first chapter, and the first 16 verses. These facts show why the numerous genealogies of the Bible were recorded. When we are reading the Bible through, sometimes we tire of these long lists of names, but they're very important in proving the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. The true Messiah of the prophets was to be born under very poor conditions when the family would be reduced to a very low estate. 
On both his father's and his mother's side, Jesus Christ was of very humble origin, though descended from illustrious ancestors. His father was a carpenter, his mother came from an obscure family. He was also lowly in appearance. According to the prophets, a messenger was to precede the Messiah, preparing the people for his coming. You'll find this prophecy in Malachi, the third chapter, in the first verse. And he was fulfilled in the experience of Christ, who had a messenger going before him, namely, John the Baptist. This forerunner of the Messiah was to be either Elijah himself or one in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist, Christ's cousin and forerunner, was altogether in the spirit of that great prophet Elijah. Read the first chapter of Mark on this. The forerunner of the Messiah was to preach in the wilderness to prepare the minds of the people for Christ's coming. Well, John the Baptist did preach in the wilderness of Judea, and he himself professed to be sent to prepare the people of that time for the advent of Messiah or Christ. You'll find all this in the third chapter of Matthew. We must hasten along with these prophecies, for there are many of them. Here's the important one. The Messiah was not to be born in Jerusalem, the capital of the country, but in Bethlehem, an obscure village. By a very peculiar providence, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as we all know. Matthew 2, verse 6. The coming Messiah was to preach the law of God to his countrymen in great congregations, as the prophecy of Psalm 40, verse 9 declares. This was fulfilled in the life of Christ, as we read in the four Gospels. Now here's something that's often been overlooked. There were twelve tribes of ancient Israel. Two of the most northern ones were Zebulun and Naphtali. According to the words of the ancient prophets, they were to be greatly distressed, but afterwards highly honored and exalted by the appearance of the true Messiah among them. It is an historical fact that these very tribes were the principal ones who suffered in the first great Assyrian invasion under Tiglath-Pileser. But they were afterwards among the very first to enjoy the blessings of Christ's preaching of the gospel and his holy ministry. They saw his miraculous works among them. Now this prophecy to which I'm referring is found in Isaiah, ninth chapter, first three verses, and in 2 Kings 15, 29. And its fulfillments you will read in Matthew 4, verse 12, beginning. Another prophecy of Isaiah 9. Now remember, the prophecy of Isaiah was written about a thousand years, well, no, 700 years before Christ was born. And here in the ninth chapter, the ancient Hebrew prophet declared that the true coming Messiah was to converse and preach the gospel in the region of Galilee. That's exactly where Jesus Christ lived, where he taught that obscure and despicable part of the land of Israel. By way of contempt, he was sometimes called the Galilean, Mark 14, 70. Now the Messiah was to have a temple to which he should come when he made his appearance in human flesh. This prophecy you'll find in Malachi, the third chapter, written several hundred years before he was born. That Christ did so is clear, for when he came, the Son of God, he claimed the temple of Jerusalem as his own, in a sense that no mere mortal ever could. This we find fulfilled, as recorded in Luke 19.47 and Matthew 21.12. To some people who had commercialized the precincts of the holy temple of God in those days, he said, and I'm reading now from Mark 11.17, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves. Then you remember he cast them out. Their commercial interests were compelled to leave the temple that day. Now there are many other messianic prophecies, that is prophecies about the Messiah or coming Christ, 
in the Old Testament. But we shall mention just a few more here. Now, the Holy Messiah is spoken of by the ancient prophets of Israel under the characters of an angel, a messenger, a redeemer, an interpreter, one in a thousand, a plant of renown. I'm just giving you some of the names under which he's prophesied. A captain, the beloved of God, the true David. Now, there are texts for all of these which I could give you. Genesis 48, 16, Genesis 32, 24, Hosea 12, 3, and so forth. All of these texts are easy to find in the Scriptures. Now, according to the New Testament story, Jesus Christ was all of these. He was whatever was peculiar to the character of that august being, the promised Messiah. Now, we have given scriptural references for these prophecies and their fulfillments. There are many more prophecies of the Messiah which were accurately and literally fulfilled in Jesus Christ's life, in his ministry and character, which we must consider at some other time. But we have given enough today to convince the earnest and honest heart of any man or woman that Jesus of Nazareth, called by Christians the Lord Jesus Christ, was the actual fulfillment and fulfiller in person of the prophecies of the Holy Messiah of the ancient prophets of Israel. There's no doubt about it. He fulfilled these prophecies literally and actually and in his own person. You can read them for yourself in the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament and read the fulfillment in the New, and remember there was 400 years before those two, between those two testaments. There could be no collusion whatever. The prophecies of the glorious Messiah are twofold. Throughout the Old Testament, we read of the glory of the Messiah who was to come as a king, as a mighty ruler, as a conqueror over all the foes of God and Israel. There are also prophecies of the same Messiah which picture him as a suffering servant of God, as one who was spit upon, cruelly treated, and even put to death. Now, these two lines of prophecy confused some in ancient times, but they really prove the actual messiahship of Jesus Christ who fulfilled both lines of prophecy. He was not only the suffering servant of our necessities, but he is to come the second time as Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He was to come and die for the sins of the whole world. That's right in the prophecies for both Jew and Gentile. But he is to come again and rule from David's throne, just as the prophet said. His kingdom shall reach from sea to sea, as the prophecy said, and from the river to the ends of the earth, Zechariah 9.10. Every human being, every non-Christian, every pagan, every Moslem, every man of Israel, every Christian, should study the claims of Jesus of Nazareth to be the Christ, the Messiah of Israel's prophets. Millions are doing so, and every year tens of thousands, yes, hundreds of thousands, are accepting his claims. This is not a matter that should be treated with neglect or with prejudice. The claims of Jesus Christ should have an honest hearing and earnest consideration. If Christ is the true Messiah, it would not only be a mistake but a terrible tragedy to neglect him or to reject him. Why not study these ancient prophecies? Why not see if Jesus Christ actually is the Messiah? Here's what he said himself to some men who in his day had not given proper attention to this great subject. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. John 5:39. Those very Scriptures of the ancient prophets testified of him, prophesied of him, 
Then he continued with sadness, And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. Some years ago, the principal of the English Mission College in Cairo, Egypt, received a letter from a Japanese Buddhist whose children had been attending his school. The letter contained this question, Who is John 3.16? My children are always talking about him. The principal sent a note back at once explaining that John 3.16 was not a man, but a verse in a book. Soon he received another letter from the father with a request, Can you supply me with a copy of the book? Of course, a copy of the New Testament was sent to him. It was not long until the principal of the school received a third letter, saying that he and all the members of his family had accepted Christ as the true Messiah and Savior of the world. And how does John 3.16 read? Let's read it to you. Let's repeat it all together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sounds good, doesn't it? And it's true. Just try it and see. And this is the word of the Lord to you. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. Ooh. Mm-hmm.